You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. All right. Hey, y'all. My name is Carlos Valadez. I serve in local missions with the Bachman Lake community. Today, I'll be reading Genesis 33, 1 through 20. So open your Bibles with me. If you don't have your Bible, there's definitely Bibles in front of you in the seats in front of you. Genesis 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah and her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau left, lifted up his eyes he, and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the, seven, the servants drew near, uh, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sights of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen the face, seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servants, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, let, let me leave with you some of people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of the Lord. So Esau returned that day on, on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house made of booths uh, for his livestock. Therefore, the name is called Succoth. And Jacob set, came safely to the city of Sketchum, which is the land of Canaan, on his way from Padam Aram. And he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Sketchum's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land which he had pitched to his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon, church. Buenas tardes. Good afternoon. Happy Sunday. It's good to see you all. Uh, my name is Jonathan Menendez. I serve on staff here as a minister, and I get to oversee our small groups, what we call gospel communities. And it really is a joy and a delight to be able to open up God's word with you. And I want to begin by sharing a, just a quick story. Um, I am the only male uh, child of five siblings, so I have four younger sisters. Now, I don't know how I, I survived growing up, but that's a different story for another day. I have four younger sisters, and one of these sisters of mine got married last year. And it was a beautiful wedding, amazing time. The respective families came together in Chicago, and we just 
had an amazing time together. Uh, I will never forget the moment after the wedding, after it's all over, and it's just me, my parents, and my abuelita. You, you guys know what that means? Abuelita means grandma, okay? Uh, in case you didn't know, now you, now you can say that you learned some Spanish during today's sermon. Uh, so I was with my parents and my abuelita, and I drove them to our hotel, and we exited the elevator, and uh, we were in one of the floors, and it was time to say goodbye. It's time to say farewell. And for whatever reason, this moment was a special moment. Um, we started to hug one another. We started to cry. And it was just uh, a lot of affection and, and love and embrace. And my grandma, my abuelita, she uh, hugged me for so long that it, it got a little awkward. You ever had that feeling where you, you're hugging grandma or grandpa and they hug you for a long time? And you're like, okay, um, yeah. So I had that moment. But it was a beautiful thing. A lot of love, a lot of embrace, a lot of affection, and I will never forget that moment. It wasn't always the case. Um, There's a lot of tension and conflict within our family, and so the fact that we were able to do that with such love and affection is a testament to God's grace. And I'm here to tell you that God can change hearts, that God can change relationships, that God can keep his promises. And that's what I want you to walk away from today's sermon is understanding this idea, this truth, that God changes hearts, he restores relationships, and he keeps his promises. And we will see this uh, clearly through the story of Jacob and Esau being reconciled to one another. Um, Before jumping into the chapter that we're going to look at today, let's do a quick recap. It's always good to review where we have been uh, in order to understand the context in which we find ourselves. So if you recall, um, Genesis 27, Jacob and Esau, right? Uh, Jacob seals Esau's blessing, and it's a big deal. Jacob lies, he manipulates, he deceives both uh, his father and brother, and as a consequence, as a result, Esau wants to kill him. Esau wants to kill his younger brother for having stolen his blessing, and so Jacob runs away. He flees, right? And he goes up north to an area called Padamaram, which is about 500, nor- 500 miles north of where, he was, where Jacob was at at that time. And he spends uh, time with his uncle Laban. And he begins to work. His family grew and multiplied. His possessions grew and multiplied and all that good stuff. And eventually, uh, the sons of Laban began to envy and become jealous of Jacob and his prosperity. And in that context, God tells Jacob to flee from or to leave that area to go back to the land of his people, of his father in Canaan. And so Jacob and his family and possessions and animals, they start traveling south. And Jacob has various encounters with the Lord along the way, right? That are significant that we have looked at the last couple of weeks. And in chapter 31, then, we see how Jacob descends from Padamaram and he encounters God along the way. Chapter 32, we find out that Jacob sent messengers to Esau, right? To kind of prepare the way, like, hey, my brother is coming, right? Or I should say, Jacob is coming, your brother is coming, and here's a gift for you. And this gift was extravagant, extravagant over 500 animals, 
That's a whole lot of animals, y'all. <laughs> Very extravagant gift. And so these messengers go, they go to Esau, they communicate this message. Your brother's coming, here is a gift. And we find out in the last chapter, chapter 32, it gives us an insight into how Jacob was feeling. We find out that he was afraid, that he was afraid. And so he sent this gift to appease his brother to appease his brother's wrath. And so that's important to know. That's important to keep in mind as we jump into chapter 33 because it's a continuation of that story. And so now that we have briefly uh, reviewed where we have been, let's jump in now to chapter 33 in Genesis. It's the very first book of the Bible. You should all be there by now. Are you guys all there? Yes? Amen? Okay. We're going to look at this chapter and we can divide up this chapter into three sections. The very first section, verses one through four, the reunion. The second section, the, the dialogue, the conversation between Jacob and Esau, verses five through 15. And then lastly, the last section, the parting. They, like, they go their separate ways in verses 16 through 20. So let's look at the very first section, the reunion, starting in verse one. And Jacob... Lifted up his eyes. That's a, an expression that we have seen before. It's, it usually uh, indicates a, a new section. So Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, who was there? Esau was coming. And how many men? 400 men with him. What would you do in this scenario? What would you do in this moment? I don't know about you, but I probably would pee my pants. Just being real, just being honest, Okay. I see my older brother, he wants to kill me. There are 400 men with him, right? This is, this is code for militia. And you can assume, right? Man, these, these folks are gonna kill me. I'm dead meat, right? I'm a dead man walking. So what, is, what does Jacob do? He has a plan, He's ta he takes action. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. Verse two, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. What is happening here? We still see some old Jacob in the mix, right? There's still a level of preference and favoritism. He puts Rachel and Joseph at the end because these are the two that he loved the most and his servants at the front, right? There's still a level of preference and favoritism. But notice the next verse. Notice verse three. We see new Jacob in a way. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground. How many times? Not once, not twice, seven times until he came near to his brother. So we do see this, this new Jacob. God has changed him. God has transformed him. And so he does divide up his family into groups by preference, but then he goes on ahead. He takes risk, bold move, right? He moves forward and goes first. And he bows down, how many times? Seven times. We're gonna see throughout this chapter a contrast between these two characters, how Jacob sees himself in relationship to Esau and how they treat each other. And right off the bat, we see Jacob acting like a subordinate to Esau. 
like inferior, like a servant to Esau, someone who is superior, bowing down seven times. Now we know throughout scripture that the number seven, right, means like completeness, wholeness. And so Jacob is showing an immense amount of respect and honor to his older brother. This is a big deal, right? This is not the same Jacob that we saw in Genesis 27 that was cunning and deceiving and lying and all that. He is bowing down to his brother. And then we see verse four, beautiful verse, amazing verse. But Esau, what does he do? He begins to point his finger. No, 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 he doesn't do that, right? But Esau ran to meet him. I don't know how fast. He ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? The two brothers that were at odds against one another, there was hostility, there was enmity, there was tension, there was conflict. Here we see these two brothers embrace, love one another, hug, kiss, and they weep together. It's a beautiful, beautiful moment, a beautiful scene. There's so much action going on in this verse alone. Five action words to be exact. Esau runs, he embraces, he falls on his brother's neck, he kisses him, and they weep together. And it's a beautiful, beautiful moment. And we see Esau's embrace. So we see, we see the reunion in the first four verses. Let's look at now the second section, the dialogue, the conversation with these two, between these two brothers starting in verse five. And in this section, what we're going to see is a series of questions and answers. Esau will ask a question. Jacob will respond. Esau will ask a second question. Jacob will respond. And then we'll see Esau have a, share a proposal. And then Jacob will share a counter proposal with this, this back and forth dialogue. Okay. So let's look at Esau's first question in verse five. And when Esau lifted up his eyes, there's that expression again, and saw the women and the children, he said, who are these with you? Jacob responds, the children whom God has what? Graciously given your servants. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Verse seven, Leah likewise, and her, her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. So Esau asks a question. Jacob responds, right? Esau is like, hey, who are all these people with you? And Jacob responds, these are, this is my family. This is my family. And this family, right, they also bowed down to Esau, showing an incredible amount of honor and respect. Notice what Jacob does. He emphasizes God's grace. He doesn't say, oh, I, it's because of me and my strength. This family has grown. And he could have said that, but he didn't. He emphasized God's grace. These are the children that God has graciously given your servants. Again, notice the word that Jacob uses for himself, servant, right? He is bowing down to Esau. It's, it's this, this posture of humility because Jacob has been transformed. So that's the first question and answer. Now let's look at the second question from Esau in verse eight. And Esau said, 
What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Verse 10, Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And you have accepted me. Verse 11, please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously, there is that word again, with me and because I have enough. Thus, he urged him and he took it. And so here we see Esau's second question. Jacob, what is all this company? The word there literally is camp. It's a play on words because earlier in Jacob's journey, he had encounter angels, right? Encounter God. And he's like, man, this is God's camp. And then later on, he divides up his family, his possessions into two camps. And here is Esau asking, hey, what is this camp? What is all this company? Now, Esau knows at least to a degree what this is all about. The messengers had gone. They have communicated a message. Hey, your brother Jacob is coming. This is a, a gift from him to you, right? But Esau is inquiring further. What is this all about? And Jacob responds, and we're given insight once again into his heart to find favor in the sight of my Lord. Do you see what Jacob is trying to do? He's trying to appease his brother's wrath. He's trying to earn his favor, and therefore he's given this gift to do that. Esau politely declines, hey, I have enough. You keep this to yourself. And Jacob continues, right? He insists until he convinces Esau to take the blessing, to take the gift, the present, okay? And Jacob kind of puts a condition here. Hey, if you have truly accepted me, then accept my gift. If I have truly found favor in your sight, accept my gift. And he uses two different words here for, for gift. Very, very fascinating, very insightful. The first word is the word minka or minha. And it's a word that is often used in sacrificial offerings, okay? And so Jacob is clearly trying to find his brother's favor, trying to earn his brother's favor, trying to appease his brother's wrath. That's the first word that he uses. And then he uses a different word the second time around. He uses the word blessing in verse 11. Do you see that? And that's the word barakah. We've seen this before in Genesis 27. Jacob stole Esau's barakah, blessing. And so Jacob here is saying now, hey, yes, accept my gift, accept my blessing. So what is Jacob doing here? Is he trying to undo what has happened? Is he just trying to reverse what has taken place? I believe that Jacob is not undoing that, not reversing that, because God is in this in the sense that God's redemptive purposes through Jacob will continue and move forward. But in a way, Jacob is realizing what he did a long time ago. And he's making a restitution, right? Uh, a repayment for what he has done to a degree. And so he acknowledges that. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you. Why? Look at Jacob's motivation because God has dealt graciously with me and I have enough. Esau, the first time 
declines. Hey, I have, I have enough. And Jacob says, I have enough, but two different words. Jacob is actually saying, I have everything. I have all because God has dealt graciously with me. So please accept this gift, right? Because seeing your face, says Jacob, it's like seeing the face of God. He's alluding to the, the previous encounter that Jacob had with God, right? He wrestled with God and yet Jacob was delivered. He survived that encounter. In the same way, Jacob has faced his brother and he has been delivered. He has survived this, this second encounter now. And so Jacob is making that illusion, like, hey, seeing your face, brother, it's like seeing the face of God. And so Esau finally gives in and accepts the gift, accepts the blessing. In verses 12 through 15, we're going to see, what we're going to see, Esau's proposal and Jacob's counterproposal. Let's take a look at this. Verse 12, then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail, that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau, after experiencing a level of reconciliation with his brother, he's like, hey, let's, let's get going. Vamonos, come on. Let's get going. Let's get on our journey. And Jacob politely declines. My Lord, right? You go on ahead of me. And gives a reason, gives a rationale, gives an explanation. Hey, I have young children. I have young animals. Both of these cannot be driven too hard in one day. It's going to be too much for them. The animals could die, right? I need to nurse them. I need to feed them. I need to take care of them. So it gives a legitimate rationale and explanation as to why he couldn't go with Esau in his journey, at least not at the same pace with Esau and the rest of the men. And so Jacob politely declines and just tells Esau, hey, you go on ahead. I will meet you in Seir. I will lead on slowly. I will go at the pace of the animals and the pace of the children. This reminds me of my own family. Uh, we have a newborn. Uh, he is four months today. Isn't that crazy? Time flies. And I know now the difference between go going at a very fast pace with a newborn and trying to get ready and at the door, which is a mission most of the time now, versus going at a very leisurely pace. Slow, relaxed, peaceful, Two different scenarios, right? Uh, this one, when we're going fast, is stressful. When we're running behind, we're running late. Oh my goodness, there's tension. We're like, I gotta get going, we gotta get going, we gotta get going. And then little guy has uh, a diaper change that he needs. <laughs> he needs a new outfit, you know? And so things are outside of our control. And oftentimes we have to slow down and make a lot of time in case for those emergencies, those unexpected things that come up. And so in a way, Jacob is like, hey, I have young animals, young children. I need to go at their pace. Literally at their foot, at their feet, like their pace, little by little. And this phrase that I will lead on slowly is used elsewhere of a shepherd guiding his flock, guiding them, caring for them, 
shepherding them. And so we see Jacob, again, transform, change. He's like, I will lead on slowly at the pace of the children and the livestock until I come to Seir. So there's that proposal, counterproposal, okay? Look at verse 15. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, Jacob, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. Jacob is still trying to find favor with his brother Esau, right? And so Jacob declines that first proposal. And then Esau is like, well, hey, I can leave some of my men with you. Do you remember last week when Esau, when Jacob found out that there were 400 men coming? That was called for militia. Oh my goodness, I'm going to get killed. Here we see that these men are actually there to protect him to go with him along the way, along the journey. And so it's this beautiful thing. Esau is trying to be kind here, trying to provide protection for his brother and his family. And Jacob declines yet again and asks, let me find favor. In other words, hey, please let me do this one thing, right? And so there we see that dialogue. Now let's look at the last section, verses 16 through 20. The parting. These two, go, these two brothers go the separate ways. Verse 16. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. Verse 17. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Okay? So what's happening here? These two go their separate ways. Esau goes to Seir. Jacob goes to Succoth. So is, what is Jacob doing here? Is he lying yet again? Is he deceiving his brother yet again? What is happening here? What's going on? Is there manipulation? Is there, is there deception here or lies? Well, we don't know with 100% certainty. At the very least, we can say that Jacob is being reluctant or hesitant to trust his brother fully. At the very least. Okay? So they go their separate ways. And Jacob ends up at Succoth. That word literally means shelters or booths. That's why that city was called, or that place was called Succoth, okay? And Jacob sets up shop there. He builds a house, not like the house you and I know here in Dallas, Texas, <laughs> in the 21st century. Uh, he built a house there, made shelters for his livestock, and he sets up shop. He lives there for a period of time. We don't know how long exactly. And then verse 18 and 19 served as a transition into the next story, which we'll look at next week. Verse 18, And Jacob came safely or peacefully to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padam Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamar, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. Here we see that Jacob ends up at a different location, right? After Succoth, after spending the time there, we don't know how long, he ends up in Shechem. And Shechem is both a city and a person, as we will see in the next chapter. Look at the way Jacob arrives in this, at this city, right? Safely, peacefully, which is a big contrast to what we will see in the next chapter. The next chapter shares a tragic story that takes place in Shechem. And so this, these two verses serve as a, as a transition into the next story. And so Jacob buys some land, 
Okay? And then verse 20. Here we see the culmination of this sibling rivalry, of this sibling saga. Verse 20. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Literally, God, God of Israel. So Jacob purchased the land, sets up shop, builds an altar, and worships God. What's going on here? There's a lot going on here. And it's beautiful. And it's amazing. We've seen this before. Does this sound familiar to you? Remember the story of Abraham, right? Abraham in his own journey with God, right, ends up in Shechem. And what does he do? He buys a piece of land. And what does he do? After encountering the Lord, he also sets up an altar and worshiped God. And so this, is, this story here with Jacob echoes that previous story with Abraham. And so in a similar way, Jacob sets up an altar and worships the living God. Worship. This is a proper response to sibling reconciliation. And it's a proper response to the fulfillment of God's promises. Why do I say fulfillment of God's promises? If you recall in Jacob's journey, there was a time in which he, on his way to Padam Aram, has this encounter with the living God, right? And Jacob is like, hey, God, if you, if, you, if you are with me, if you keep me, if you sustain me, if you protect me, if you bring me back, then you will be my God. This is exactly what's happening here. God has been faithful to keep him. He has kept his promise. Jacob has returned safely, peacefully. And so God has kept his promise. He has been with Jacob. He has protected him. He has sustained him. He has multiplied him. He has blessed him. And so therefore, Jacob worships God because God has reconciled him and Esau and God has kept his promise. And it's a beautiful thing. So how do we make sense of all this? How do we apply this to our lives? Two things. One, God can change hearts. God can change hearts. Reconciliation is possible. Dear friends, I want you to walk away with that. That God can change hearts. Reconciliation is possible. But we first need to be reconciled with God, our creator. This is vertical reconciliation that needs to take place before horizontal reconciliation. Let's go back to verse four real quick. Remember how Esau ran to see Jacob, to meet him, to embrace him, falls on his neck, kissed him, and, wept, and they wept together? Does that remind you of any other story? Maybe the New Testament, hint, hint, right? Jesus, he tells a, a parable, right? The story of the prodigal son. We're not going to go into great detail of that story, but briefly, there are two sons. The younger one comes to the father. Father, I want my inheritance. The father divides up his inheritance among the two brothers. The younger brother goes out, leaves the home, and basically goes after his own sin. Wastes, he wasted his inheritance. Okay, he sins, and then he hits rock bottom. And the key there is he came to his senses, and he realized he has sinned against heaven, against his father. And when he realized that, he began to think about how it was so much better with my dad. Maybe it's better for me to return and just maybe even be a servant. Maybe, I don't know if he will accept me, accept me, right? And so he goes back to his father. And how does his father respond? 
hey, no, you sin against me. Uh-uh, I don't want you back in this house. No, the father ran to him, embraced him, loved him. It's beautiful. And then he throws a party, a celebration, because his son was lost and then it, he was found. Dear friends, dear church family, this is the Father's heart toward sinners. This is the Father's heart toward you and toward me. He doesn't just point the finger. He doesn't point the finger at you and be like, hey, no, you got to clean yourself up. You got to get your act together before you come to me. No, he's like, come to me as you are. And he runs to embrace us. He loves us dearly. He welcomes us home. This is his heart. This is his heart to you and to me, toward you and toward me. And this same heavenly father has sent his son, Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And he will return one day to make all things new. And it's going to be glorious. And now through Jesus, the true and better Jacob, we can experience reconciliation. You remember how I said that Jacob and Esau, there's a big contrast here, how they treat one another. Jacob acted as this inferior subordinate to his superior brother Esau, right? And Esau calls him brother. But Jesus is the true and better Jacob. In contrast to Jacob, who humbled himself before Esau, Jesus humbled himself to the point of death and death on the cross. Philippians 2 talks about that. In contrast to Jacob, who was reluctant, who was hesitant to trust his brother fully, Jesus, on the other hand, entrusted himself fully to God. Peter would talk about that. When Jesus was treated poorly or mistreated or treated unjustly, he entrusted himself fully to God who judges justly. And in contrast to Jacob, just calling his brother Lord, Jesus is not ashamed to call you and me brother and sister, which Hebrews 2 talks about. And so the Father's heart toward you is, here, come, come to me. I will embrace you. I will welcome you. I will love you. And he changes our hearts. And he has sent Jesus now to give us a new life. And through Christ now, we can experience vertical reconciliation. After we experience that, we can extend that to others. Horizontal, uh, horizontal reconciliation. And so now as Jesus' followers, as disciples of Jesus, we have a calling, we have an invitation, we have a responsibility to forgive one another, to reconcile with each other. Paul will put it this way in Colossians 3. Put on compassionate hearts, or merciful hearts. Put on kindness and meekness and patience, forgiving one another. If one has a complaint against the other, forgive each other. Just as God has forgiven you, you also ought to forgive one another. But above all these things, above all these virtues, put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. That's the invitation for you and me as followers of Jesus, to put on compassionate hearts, merciful hearts, and extend that reconciliation that we have experienced from the Father onto others, especially our family, especially our sister, brother, uncle, mom, dad, friends, coworkers, 
wherever there is relational brokenness. So I don't know how you came in into this space this afternoon. In a room of this size, I know that there is relational brokenness. I know there's relational brokenness in my own family. There's still ongoing relational work that I need to do, that I need to take initiative on and follow up with. How about you? How about you? Is there an uncle that you need to talk to? A mom that you need to follow up with? Is there, any, is there anything that you need to apologize for? Is there anything that you need to bring up to, to someone else, how they hurt you and wounded you with their words or actions? There is still relational work that needs to be done, I believe. And so I don't know what's your story. Maybe there's pain. Maybe you've been hurt by a sibling or a parent. It's hard. It's hard. Those closest to you can wound you the most, unfortunately, because of sin and brokenness. And so it's hard. It's very hard. But I want to encourage you today that God can change hearts, that God can change hearts and reconciliation is possible. But we need to first experience that from the Lord and then we can extend that to others. So first, as we walk away, as we reflect on this passage, as we apply this to our lives, let's remember the truth that God can change hearts. Second, let's worship. Come on, let's worship. Jacob responded with worship at the end of this passage. It's a beautiful response to reconciliation and to the fulfillment of promises. So you and I, let's worship with our lives, with our time, with our resources. Yes, on Sundays, with, through song, through communion, through the word, let's worship. Why? Because God reconciles sinners to himself. Because God reconciles sinners with each other. And because God is faithful to keep his promises, both to his people back then and to his people now. So let's worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word. What a beautiful passage. What a beautiful story of reconciliation. Lord, you changed the hearts of Jacob and Esau. You changed their hearts. You could change our hearts as well. And you can restore relationships. God, I pray that you would Release your healing power, even in this room, even right now, by the power of your spirit. Lord, would you touch our hearts and touch those areas where we have been hurt or wounded. We need healing ourselves. We need to be comforted by you. We need to be changed and transformed. We need to be restored. So change us, heal us, give us greater freedom, give us the humility and the courage to maybe follow up with those that we need to follow up with and help us to do all this in your strength, by your power, not in our own strength, because this is hard. It's hard to reconcile. It's hard to forgive others. So I pray, God, that you would help us, that you would enable us to respond to you, the forgiveness that you have extended to us for us to experience that and extend that to others. So bless us as we do that. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. So we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15, and 4 p.m. and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.